0: Hey
1: everybody! Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Deadlines are upon us: the trade deadline, the draft signing deadline. We'll break down uh, both of those as far as they pertain to prospects and, of course, draft picks. One deadline is today, as we record this, the signing deadline. Another is in a week. Hall of Fame. Just uh, had the induction and uh, a couple of interesting players looking back at uh, the scouting of them and uh, when they were prospects. Scott Rowland and Fred McGriff. Jim did a, a really nice story on on the scouting of Scott Rowland. Uh, so we'll talk about that in, in some detail. And uh, we'll wrap up by answering a question from the mailbag. So, guys, the trade deadline. This is always... You know, we we always talk about how crazy things get during the draft and futures game and that whole month leading up to that wild weekend. But it really doesn't die down because we have all the signings, and then we also go right into the midseason re rank of all our lists. Which I guess we should probably we should probably address that right now, shouldn't we? This is this is the most frequent question of the year: when will the will when will the re rank? Run? Is it, would Pretty you say? frequent, yeah. Is is that is it that, or it, we get that more often than we do? When will the first list come out? Don't we? Or
2: do I have it? Do I have it the
3: other way? Around? Oddly, this this week's call for questions, I did not. I would not, at least as of. Maybe, maybe they know now.
2: Well, I mentioned it in the last inbox. Oh well, that, that like, covers it because we exact... never get
3: repeat questions.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't give them. An, I didn't give them an exact date, but maybe that called them off a little bit.
1: Two weeks. A fortnight, right? Uh, we'll we'll have the freshly updated top one hundred prospects list and all team top thirty prospects lists. All of the top ten by position lists. We integrate the newly drafted players into those lists, make adjustments uh, based on the first half of the season, uh, injuries, etc. So uh, be on the lookout for that in a couple of weeks.
2: So I don't know, Jason. Breaking news. Oh. Jonathan, Sam, and I are, are doing a triple, Koufax, Drysdale, I don't know, Claude Osteen, who, whoever the third pitcher would be, uh, hold out, and we'll have to talk about that deadline.
1: Okay. <laughs> wow. Uh, so I, I take it back, news to me. Yeah, maybe maybe we won't have those out in two weeks. Mm-hmm. You can talk around. to Jim about that. Um, all right, so the first thing, I guess we're we're kind of taking these out of order because the first first deadline is the signing deadline. But the way we have it plotted out here is to talk about the trade deadline first. That is in a week on August 1st, 6 p.m. Eastern. Um, expect there to be a lot of activity between now and then. And guys, I think we'd kind of put last year's trade deadline, we, we'd kind of Stored that away in our minds and hadn't thought about it in a while because I know I was surprised and I I did a pipeline pop quiz a pre pipeline pop quiz uh, before we started recording asked you guys how many top 100 prospects had been dealt at the deadline in the past four years combined Jim didn't dignify the question I was with a response I'm sorry Jonathan guessed six which is fewer than there were last year alone. There were seven top one hundred prospects
2: yeah. traded just last year, and in the can I guess now?
1: <laughs> sure.
2: Uh, I'm going to guess there probably weren't many in 2020 with the pandemic. I'm going to guess
1: 15. It's a pretty good guess considering I already told you the answer. But
3: I don't know how legitimate this
1: is. I didn't hear
2: the answer. I didn't see the answer.
3: Well, that's fine. No
2: okay. <laughs> Anyway, I'll I'm sorry. Your, yeah. I'll have
3: to trust your honor, I guess. I'm
2: just riding off the rails. Is it 15? No, no it's 17. 17. Okay, but, but
3: yeah, but you were the
1: 2020 pandemic. There was only one, but seven last year, four in 2021, five in 2019, and prior to that, we had some. You know, 2015 there were nine, 2016 there were eight, 2017 there were seven. So, you know, this time of year we often see some real legitimate top tier prospects traded last year Noelvi Marte, Robert Hassel, Ken Waldachuk, Jordan Groshans, Logan O'Hoppe, James Wood, Edwin Arroyo were the top 100 prospects who were dealt. Uh, and those are just guys who were in the top 100 at the time. You guys know you guys know of other current top 100 prospects that were traded at last year's deadline?
2: In the in the top 100. Now I, I was thinking of Cr- guys like Mackenzie Gore and C.J. Abrams who were part of the Soto trade.
1: No, no, talking about guys who are who have moved into the top 100 since they were traded last year. Oh, ben Brown,
2: in- Christian and Encarnacion Strand,
1: Encarnacion Strand,
2: nice. Nick Frasso. And I think Nick Frasso. Yep. of those guys are my guys. Yeah, yeah, or by my, so, my organizations I cover.
1: Yeah, so because I remember
2: uh, at the time going like, how did the the Dodgers get Nick Frasso in this trade? But that's what the Dodgers do. They Always grabbed out.
1: Yeah, what was that deal for?
2: It was for Mitchell White. The the Blue Jays were down yeah. starter. It was it was a four player trade, and you know Mitchell White, who I think might have been on the top one hundred back in the day, went to Toronto. And Frasso had just come back, like he had had surgery and missed some time. Um, but man, he and he looked great. I saw him in spring training, and he looked great. and And he's he's had a good year as well.
1: He wasn't even on the Dodgers top thirty at the time of that trade. Wow.
2: Yeah, but I think he made it. W- I'm sorry, he wasn't. He
1: wasn't on the Blue Jays top thirty right. at the time. I, I think I he, jammed him
2: onto the Dodgers. You did center. number twenty six, well, and, and, and even Ben Brown. And it wasn't like he was misranked, Jonathan. He was your guy, but Ben Brown was like a a low, like you know, lower round high school pick out of Long Island, who had had Tommy John, and between that and the pandemic, had barely pitched in the Phillies system. And it was like actually fine work to have him on the Phillies list at all, given his history. And then okay. when he got traded to the Cubs, I was like, I was asking them and I was like, and they're, like, I was like, is he like, it sounds like he's like a borderline top 10 guy from what I'm hearing. And they're like, oh yeah, that that was a nice trade.
3: Yeah. And that's the, you know, the, the issue, the issue, whatever the, the timing of our re-rank, he was going to make a very large jump up the Phillies list, uh, had he remained in, in that organization. So, you know, I was, I was preparing to move him, but it never got the opportunity.
1: Yeah, he was number 26 on the Phillies list at the time, and uh, when he got added to the Cubs list, was number 11.
2: You know, we should have a quick PSA, because what Jonathan pointed out, we get this all the time, is it the lists, because we don't move guys who are on the list until we update, <laughs> those lists were done in February, but every year we get a question like when Ben Brown goes from 26 on the, Fi- on the Cubs list to 11th on the Phillies list, or Nick Fresso goes from not being ranked on the Blue Jays list to 26 on the Dodgers list. People are like, Oh, the Blue Jays must have a stronger system than the Dodgers or the Phillies must have a stronger system than the Cubs. And that's not necessarily the case. You're, 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 t- you're comparing a February ranking from the original list. And maybe the guy moved up a little bit. If a couple guys graduated to an up to date ranking when he joins his new team. So I would not, read too much into the rankings relative to their teams because they're they're really being done what, what was it 5 months apart. Yep. Right. But we get that every year like asking like oh like how could this guy go from this one system to the other and move down or move up based on the strength of the two systems.
1: Right. Especially since the draft moved because previously when the draft was in June we had you know more time to get those players into the midseason list. And we, we would get those midseason re rankings done prior to the trade deadline. And that way, uh, there was a little more accurate read on all the prospects who got traded, what their actual ranking was. But now, with the signing deadline just a week before the trade deadline, uh, not nearly as much time to get those lists re ranked. So, hence the. Uh, Issue described by Jim there. So let's talk about this year's trade deadline. And we want to identify some teams that are in contention and thus could be trading some prospects to land some help for this year's uh, pennant chase, chases uh, postseason. So let's start. Uh, with you, Jim, give us a team that is in contention, that it, we want to focus on teams that have a plethora of prospects that could make a really substantial splash at the deadline.
2: Well, I think if you're doing a mock draft of which teams we were going to mention, having me mention the Dodgers first would be pretty universally known. I just, Slam dunk. Yeah. Like, I mean, shocking. I'll I'll repeat my line about I just don't think anybody does a better job of wedding, winning at the big league level to acquiring talent, whether it's to be international or the draft or trades, like we were just talking about Nick Fresso and developing and making guys better at the minor league level than the Dodgers. I, I don't know that anybody's done it as consistently. Well, you have to go back, I think to those Braves teams that won what 14 division titles in a row or whatever it was to have a team that, that did both this well for this long. And, you know, you could just start, I mean, their, their depth is ridiculous. I mean, if we're just doing top 100 prospects, they've got, I think it's eight guys on the list. They've got Diego Cartaya and Dalton Rushing, who are two of the best catchers in the minor leagues. They have Michael Bush, who's kind of blocked at the big league level right now, you know, in terms of getting regular playing time, Andy Hayes, who's, who's out. They got all kinds of pitching, Gavin Stone, Emmett Sheehan, Ryan Pepio, and Nick Frasso. That doesn't even get to their second tier talent with guys like River Ryan and Yorbit and, Vivas and Josu De Paula, And then you could throw in guys on the big league roster right now. Uh, you know, Miguel Vargas is back in AAA, but he's exhausted his rookie eligibility. James Outman's exhausted his rookie eligibility. Bobby Miller's exhausted his rookie eligibility, I believe. Michael Grove. I, I mean, you could go on and on and on. And then if you want to throw in their financial might, where they can, you know, maybe not as much as the Mets, but like they, they have the money to pay anybody they want. So I, I think literally – between the talent and they have the money to resign people that they could I think they're better positioned than anybody to go get anybody they want and keep them long term potentially as well.
1: It's like last year who who else did they there was they were involved in the uh, Clayton Beater was traded as well as They
2: traded Clayton Beater to get Gallo.
1: Yeah, Alex De Jesus. And looking back over the years they have traded four, five, five top 100 prospects dating back to 2016 and deadline deals. And you know, when you look at these, I don't know that they really got hurt too badly in any of these. Kiber Ruiz and Josiah Gray.
2: Yeah, they made the big um, Scherzer, Scherzer, Trey Turner. Turner trade. They made the big U Darvish trade a couple of years ago. Yeah, Willie Calhoun of, yeah. yeah,
1: involved in that. Uh, Manny Machado, they uh, parted with Yusniel Diaz, was the highest ranked prospect that in that deal and then going all the way back to 2016 grant holmes was a top 100 prospect that they traded in a deal for josh reddick and rich hill so yeah dodgers often active at the deadline and dealing prospects all right and i Uh, think
2: isn't using diaz back in the dodger system now too in double a after all these years i I believe he is
1: wow still kicking around (laughs) jonathan hit us with the team
3: yeah I think you have to look at the Baltimore Orioles who, you know, right now, right in lockstep with the Dodgers in terms of strength, the farm system, especially at the top, uh, they have eight top 100 guys. Also, I think they're not quite as deep overall uh, as the Dodgers and they do not have, or they do not choose to have the financial wherewithal uh, to maybe, you know, jump into the trade waters as much as the Dodgers have, but they certainly have the personnel and they have that, you know, w- what you need, which is a logjam at the top of the farm system where you have, you know, outfielders that you could trade, uh, you know, Cal- Colton Kowser's in the big leagues, but has some in AAA. Uh, you've got middle infield depth for sure. Uh, with all the guys who've been up and down, but you know, Joey Ortiz at short, Connor Norby play, can play second base in the outfield. You've you, you know, got infielders like Kobe Mayo. Um, so they have the ability to make a big splash if they wanted to. I don't know if there's the will to do that, even though you know they have the, the best record in the American League right now, second best record in baseball. Uh, so I think it, it will be, I'm very curious to see what appetite my elias and company has to to try to bring someone in even if it's you know for a couple months to make a run here uh in a lot of ways they're well ahead of the curve in terms of how competitive they are uh as they sit atop the al east and do they try to make a run now i don't think they're going to do anything that would blow things up but you'd have to do a lot to blow things up because it's it's a really good farm system.
1: Let's let's get a a, a likelihood factor or a, a confidence factor on, on these teams. Yeah. Uh, scale. I mean, we of, use a
2: twenty-eighty scale. I think. Please. Sure. We, I
3: think we're
2: required okay. to. Want
3: we'll to start with the Dodgers?
2: I'm just going to go fifty. You know, they, wow. They, they they didn't do a big move last year. I'm not entirely convinced they will. Like, you know, everybody wants to know, like, you know, could they go get Otani or if the Angels traded him? And and, and like, look, I think they can make an offer that the Angels would not want to refuse, but Narnie Moreno might refuse it. And if I'm the Dodgers, why well, give up a bunch of players for an Otani when I might just be able to sign him in the offseason as a free agent and keep all my players? But I, I'm just going to go 50. Like, they do seem a little bit more vulnerable, like they've had some injuries, but I'm not entirely convinced. I mean, and we're talking about a significant move. We're not talking about trading your number twenty-eight prospect for uh, you know a guy who's going to pitch the sixth inning. I, I think that's that's a yeah.
3: that's a fair line.
2: I think I, so. I'm going to go. I, I'm just going to say fifty. Like like maybe you know what I, I'll say fifty-five because I think they're a little more vulnerable than they have been. But I, I'm only going to go fifty-five on the Dodgers.
3: I'll go sixty on the Dodgers. Okay. I, 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 you know, I, I think there's more likelihood, and I think the one advantage to trading for a Shohei Otani is it's like a two month period where you can say, look how great it is to play here.
2: Yeah, Artie Moreno is not going to do that
3: though.
2: Like, I, I don't think it's. I can see making a deal,
3: that's right. Yeah, I mean, I'm yeah. just talking from the Dodgers' yeah. perspective. You yeah. know, They can't control it. is Moreno's or won't do. But all right, and how
1: about the Orioles, Jonathan?
3: I'm going to say a substantial trade, like. Using Jim's sort of benchmark, there. I don't. I don't feel like I'm going to say fifty, but I kind of want to say forty-five. Can I go 47 and a half You know, Jim, when we are like, you may not. Well, we joke about that all this, the time about tools? Certainly, prospects. We're like, man, he's really not a fifty. Uh, but uh, you know, so he, I'll say fifty. I, I think they're. They're not going to want to blow things up, but they could trade away, you know, a top 100 guy or two even without it being, you know, just you know, leaving the cupboards bare, so to speak. So I'll go 50.
2: I, I will just say uh, I agree with you, Jonathan. I, I have a hard time getting a great feel for their sense of urgency even though they're playing very well. Um, I, 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 to me, if there's a deal out there where they could get a starting pitcher – a quality starting pitcher who they'd have control over going forward as like well. Like a Dylan Cease. Yeah, they they should probably make that deal. Yeah, like, I like agree Dylan. with that. But I but right. I'm they're, with you They're not making
1: thing. a trade for this year alone. This is right. This I, I just, is a team they're, that's they're,
3: building long term.
2: But but although I mean they're getting to the point where they're they're stack like Jonathan said they're stacking up players and there's only so many spots in the lineup. Um, there's only
3: so many spots in the AAA lineup.
2: Yeah, I mean <laughs> so they, the, the time seems right. So but but I, I agree with Jonathan.
3: So what grade? Fifty.
2: Yeah, yeah, I I've been I, with you. I, I I fifty, but I I don't, okay. I can't get a great feel for their sense of urgency. We got it.
3: All right, let's get a couple
1: more teams from each of you, uh, Jim. Next,
2: I'm gonna go Rangers. You know, obviously they have spent a lot of money on the free agent market the last couple off seasons. Um, things are going great for them right now. Um, they look like a certain like like it's not just they're gonna make the playoffs this year. You know they look like a team. This team could win the World Series. Like they they have they have a chance to to go on a roll in the postseason. So I could see them making a major move. And you know, like the Dodgers, it's not just talent in the minor league system. They've got I think six guys on our top 100 prospects list right now. Yeah. Um, they've got a ton of outfielders in the minors. Evan Carter, Dustin Harris, Aaron Zavala, Anthony Gutierrez, Yesa Bell are all interesting. They just they just drafted and signed White Langford as the fourth overall pick, who's another outfielder. They've got some pitching in the minors with guys like Owen White, who I think is back up right now, Brock Porter, Jack Leiter, you know Kuma Rockers, you know having Tommy John surgery, you know so he's damaged, but you know some upside there. You've got infielders with guys like Luis Angel Acuna and Justin Foscue and Sebastian Walcott. I, I don't think they're going to trade Walcott, but he's got as much helium as, as anybody in rookie ball right now. And then you have guys in the big leagues. Like Josh Smith and Ezekiel Durant, you know they've they've signed Seager, they've signed Semyon, they have Josh Young at third. They really don't have a lot of infield openings for those guys. Sam Huff is kind of blocked by Jonah Heim at catcher. So you even have some guys who are in the big leagues uh, who, who have trade value and, and are young and are somewhat blocked. So I, I think they could do something. And I think because. You know, they're, they're, A, they haven't been to playoffs in a while. B, this team has a chance not just to go to the playoffs, which seems like a lock, but to win it all. I'm going to go 60 on the Rangers in terms of get, making a trade at the deadline where they give up significant prospect talents. So I'm going to go 60 for the Rangers. Yeah, you know, and I think I'm going to agree with your 60
3: uh, because I do think there's, you know, that in terms of you're saying you don't have that sense of urgency uh, and while it's a relatively new group running things, uh, because the it's been so long since the Rangers have had success, I do feel that there is a we need to show that that what's happening right now isn't you know it's not an anomaly. We're going to go out and, and and try to win. So I, I like I like the sixty grade for the for the Rangers.
1: All right, that's our leader now, Jonathan. Anyone uh, anyone that. Would top the Rangers in your mind in terms of likelihood of them making a big deal?
3: Mm, no, I, I, the, the the next team I want to talk about I, I would not put a sixty on. That's the Reds. So people know that we we kind of handpicked the teams we want to talk about. So people listen back and it's like, well, why don't you talk about the Brewers who are currently winning the NL Central? Uh, I just think you know we're looking at teams that are competing for the playoffs and have good farm systems. Uh, you know the Reds still have. Four on the on the top 100, and a lot of really good young talent in the big leagues now, and I think they're more likely to continue to go that route. Um, that doesn't mean that they wouldn't consider trading. I don't know an Edwin Arroyo, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, or any of the guys. Christian Encarnacion and 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 Strand continues to rake, and there's no place for him, um, you know, unless he's going to start playing every day now. Uh, We'll sort of see how that plans out. Every time I think, oh, that guy's stuck, you know, he he gets called up. So we'll have to see kind of what they're willing to do. I think, uh, like the Orioles, I don't know that they would trade for a guy for two months or, you know, like make a huge trade. Uh, I also don't think that their system is quite as deep. Um, There's a bit of a drop off. Uh, especially with the graduations that they've they've had, they don't have they don't have a lot of interesting talent at the upper levels. You know, Noelvi e. Marte is at AAA now. Connor Phillips is triple AAA, and a lot of times the teams that are trading away the big league pieces are looking for that. So, I'm going to put a 45 on the likelihood the Reds make a big prospect trade. All right,
2: I'm going to go 50, Jonathan, but I think I'm thinking more of a trade. Like you suggested, that helps set them up for the future. I mean, they, they have a plenty of bats. I think if they could find the right deal, you know, we'll throw Dylan Cease out there again, but a yeah. guy, you, a pitcher you could Start control a for a couple years going forward. I think that makes sense, not necessarily to just try to win this year, but just to set the team up for the future. So I'm going to go 50. I think they, they realize finding another arm is imperative to keep this going next year.
1: Okay. Uh, one more team from you, Jim.
2: I'm going to go with the Rays. I, I just, you know, I, I'd be afraid of trading with the Rays if they're trading prospects because they they always seem to come out ahead in most of the trades they make. But I mean, they have it seems like a never ending supply of of prospects. I mean, right now the, the system's overflowing with infielders. You got Junior Caminero and Carson Williams and Curtis Mead and Kyle Manzardo and Oslavis Pasabe and Xavier Isaac and Willie Vasquez and I'm probably forgetting some guys too um, <laughs> with all that, um, and you know they're not afraid to move young big leaguers. Uh, you know they're very willing. You know they're a very creative team. So I, I, you know, they're always in the thick of things. You know they they you know Brain Taylor I forgot about and Adrian Santana were their top two picks. So there's more more infielders too. So they they could definitely move some infielders. They seem to have a shrewd eye for talent. Um, you know once again. I, I don't know where their payroll ranks in baseball, but I'm going to guess <laughs> bottom three. Um, and they have, I think, they're as we record this, like two and a half games behind the Orioles uh, for the best record in the American League. Um, so yeah, I, I think they're. And I think it's just their mo. They're, they're they're always looking to do something. They're always looking to get better, whether it's incrementally or a bigger move. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go fifty-five on the rays. I, I, I just I just think that's their nature. They, 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 they're like a shark. They can't they can't stand still or swim still or whatever sharks is that they do. They're always on the move trying to, you know, grab talent. Um and I just think it's their nature. So I'm going fifty-five on the rays.
3: We're gonna have to have a little sort of lesson on marine life for Jim. Never seen a shark stand before.
2: Um but you know what I mean, don't they have to know, constantly I guess, be I moving? Like, yes, I, like yes, I—that's I, I, it. why I realized I, they weren't standing. I, I kind
3: of so. like the 55. I'm gonna also go 55 with like a the small caveat that it will also include, you know, maybe they'll trade away a couple of guys. They're gonna get some guy back, some rookie ball player back, who will be a top 100 prospect two years from now. And that's like where that. like. It, that's where it always scares me with the team like the Rays, where they they always have some other guy included that comes back with the big leaguer that they bring in, um, that helps sort of replenish, and that guy ends up being really good, like so, Junior
2: Camaro or Curtis Mead. Exactly like right. Examples.
3: Yeah. So I, I will. Go, I will also go fifty-five with the with that
2: thought that that's what's going to happen
1: for the uh, Rays slash Sharks.
2: <laughs>
3: Very nice. Jim,
1: I, I didn't even—I
2: didn't even draw the marine parallel there. I, I, I yeah, left that. Yeah, on that's the what table. I'm saying. Cl- closely you, related. We, I'm glad we, you glad yeah. you cleaned that up for me. We though. need We're Jim insurance.
3: to go to an aquarium and take like a marine biology course or something.
2: I'll right. go to the Shed Aquarium, Fine Aquarium in Chicago.
3: There you go. Indeed. Uh, Jonathan, one more team. Yeah, I'm going to pick the twins, and you know their system always tends to be good, but you know maybe not fantastic they've got two top 100 guys in brooks lee and emmanuel rodriguez i don't see them trading brooks lee you know and what they've done they're they're always willing to make trades you know you look at last year and they you know they traded spencer steer they traded the aforementioned christian and Carnacion strand but they were not as highly regarded at the time um yeah obviously they the, they've gotten much better they also uh Traded Kate Povich to the Orioles. You know, so that they're willing to, and Steve Ajar that, that was traded to the Reds. Like they're willing to trade from their prospect stable, but it's usually not their top level guys. So I'm going to say that the likelihood of them making like a big trade is a 40, but them making an incremental trade would be a 50 for me.
1: Jim, where do you uh, where do you weigh in? Wow, on the
2: I have to give point? two grades here. Oh. You don't. Yeah. that was just me. I mean, incremental
1: like... incremental grade.
3: We will go back and give incremental
1: yeah. grades. No, I'm
2: going no, no. to split the difference. I'm going 45. I'm Yeah, just going that's forty five. I
3: mean, if if Jason for the for the for the sake of simplicity, you can average mine out to a 45 as well.
1: <laughs> okay, I will. Then All I'm going right. 50. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so that's it. Dodgers. Reds, Rangers, Orioles, Rays, Twins, six teams that uh, Jim and Jonathan see that have the prospects to make a big splash at the deadline. We'll see what comes to fruition. Let's turn our attention to another deadline. But first, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the draft signing deadline that's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. Jason Ratliff, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo. Uh, As we are recording this episode, it is draft signing deadline day. We are approximately four hours away as we're recording this. So uh, things will change between now and then. But as has been the case uh, over the past several years, just about everyone who was taken in the top 10 rounds and has, uh, uh, pick value assigned to that pick has signed uh, or is expected to sign. there are some exceptions, uh, typically some exceptions every year, but it's uh, become we've gotten to the point where there are very few. and that holds true again this year, right, guys?
2: Yeah, it's you know, we don't know the final numbers because we're not there. but as we record this, I believe there are five guys unsigned in the top ten rounds. Uh, one of whom is definitely not signing the Cardinals' 10th rounder. But yeah, when it all comes down to it, you know, th- there will probably only be a couple. The last two years, we've had three unsigned players in the first 10 rounds, and it looks like we might come in slightly under that, but we'll, but we'll have to see.
1: We've had um, some historic signings among the players who have signed. Pick values went up this year, and the signing bonuses have gone up accordingly we have the two highest signing bonuses ever uh and a pair of teammates at that lsu teammates paul Skeens and dylan cruz each getting uh nine million dollars or more Skeens 9.2 million and cruz 9 million um lend a little historical context to this
2: yeah you know it's you know the bonus record before the the bonus pool era came into play in two thousand twelve, was eight million by Garrett Cole, and when bonus pools came in, like it, it put some like limits as to what you could spend, and nobody topped that until two thousand nineteen when Adley Richmond got eight point one million, and then in the pandemic year, Spencer Torkelson got a little over eight point four million as number one pick in two thousand twenty, and then bonus the, the the pools were stagnant related to the pandemic for a couple of years. This year, as you mentioned, Jason, they shot up like nine point nine percent. And, and both Paul Skeens at 9.2 million and Dylan Cruz at 9 million blew past Spencer Torkelson. What, what's also interesting is, you know, we, we've talked many times, anybody who's listens to this podcast knows, we've talked about how there's five guys in this year's draft who were legitimate number one overall pick candidates and would have been number one overall picks in many years if they were in that draft by themselves. And Max Clark, who went third to the Tigers, signed slightly below slot at 7.7 million dollars. But that's still a record. No number three pick has ever gotten that much money. That broke Andrew Vaughn's record at the number three spot, which was a little over seven point two million in two thousand nineteen. Wyatt Lankford, who we mentioned, I touched on briefly with the Rangers, got a little bit overslot at number four. He got eight million, and that's the most a number four pick has ever gotten. That breaks Termar Johnson's record last year. He got a little over little over seven point two million from the Pirates, and and, it's, and nothing has happened yet as we record this. But the expectation is that Walker Jenkins will sign with the Twins. I think it's going to be very slightly over slot, uh, which is going to be around $7.14 million when it's done. And while that's not the largest bonus ever for number five pick, that belongs to Bubba Starling, who was in the 2011 draft. He got $7.5 million. Bubba Starling, there, there was a rule that two allowed two sports yeah. spread it. So in terms of upfront money, Walker Jenkins will get, assuming he does sign as expected, more upfront money. Than ever any number five pick has ever gotten, and that record was held by Austin Martin. And and just to throw in, I didn't mention the the record for number two. That was Drew Jones last year, was about 8.2 million. That's the record that, that Dylan Cruz broke. So anyway, these five guys who went in the top five picks in the draft, the, these extreme talent, you know, they they kind of headlined the the good depth of this year's draft. All set bonus records in their way for the slots they went in one through five.
1: Jonathan, I know you you took a look at uh, the bonus records round by round uh, through the tenth round for uh, the newsletter. Uh, was there anything that that jumped out to you in there or anyone in particular that stood out to you?
3: Well, there were, there were two records set uh, you know this year. Obviously, we talked about skeins, and just as an aside, another thing that people probably got tired of us talking about when we were discussing who we thought the pirates should take. And we always said, well, they should just take whoever they think is the best player because the slot was so high for that number one pick. They still set a record, right? They gave Polskins $9.2 million and it still gave them an extra $500,000 to spread around for some of their other draft picks in the top 10 rounds. So uh, kudos to the Pirates for actually doing that. Um, and still setting record. The only other record came in the supplemental first round. Previously, was a four million dollar uh, bonus that Daz Cameron got back in twenty fifteen. Uh, Thomas White got four point one million from the Marlins, who went you know all in, uh, in high school pitching with their first two picks, and they got Noble Meyer at number ten for for underslot. Uh, and Noble Meyer, he was the best high school pitching high school pitching prospect in the class. And the money they saved from there, they were able to, you know, help bring in Thomas White with their with their second pick of that four point one million being well well overslept. But that was that was it in terms of records. Now some of them, you know, uh, you know, some of them it came before the bonus pool era. Like so, Josh Bell's five million dollars in two thousand eleven. almost have to kind of put a little asterisk by it because that was everyone knew that the the system was changing and the pirates went all in that was the same year they took garrett cole they went over slot on a number of players and spent a ton in that draft it's highly unlikely that we're going to see someone in the second round get five million dollars in the bonus pool system not impossible um but uh you know i think that uh, that's the one that i'm like well the three million dollars—you uh, know—I'd have to go back and look through the, uh, the the bonus pool years to see if the three million dollars that Nazan Zanatello got uh, actually breaks a, a record. There, there are a couple other that were you know were close. Steven Echeverra got three million in the third round. Cole Wilcox has the record there in tw- in 2020 with 3.3. Um, there wasn't really anybody else that was particularly close I guess, the seventh round, George Wolkow and Alex Mooney each got a million. Uh, the record for that was actually just set last year by Adam Mayer, uh, who got, uh, not quite $1.2 million from the, from the Braves. So, you know, some interesting things there, uh, you know, in the ninth and 10th round this year, nobody really like got paid, paid, uh, you know, the ninth round record was Clay Holmes. Again, that was... 2011. The Pirates gave him 1.2 million. Uh, so maybe that's apples to oranges. But last year, the Guardians gave Jacob Zibin 1.2 million to sign in the tenth round. Uh, I guess they were doing their calculations and realized they had, you know, the the money to to get that done. Uh, well, this year, like no, you know, no, no one in the tenth round got really much in the way of overslot bonuses.
1: Mentions of both. Clay Holmes and Grant Holmes on today's... All the
3: Sherlock Holmes episode.
1: Who who had the uh, who had the over one and a half? Larry Holmes. Um, all right, let's let's take a break, Katie and
3: Katie Holmes. <laughs> yeah, yep.
1: Yeah. Well, let's take a break and uh, and then we'll take this uh, episode home. Holmes. <laughs> uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about the two. Hall of Fame inductees, Scott Rowland and Fred McGriff. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. And we want to talk about the most recent inductees to the Baseball Hall of Fame, Scott Rowland and Fred McGriff. Jim, I know you got to do a bit of a deep dive into Scott Rowland, did his origin story, the scouting of Scott Rowland, a very uh, interesting one. And these are always, I find, very interesting um, I know, you know, you and Jonathan both do a great job on these. Jonathan has kind of turned this thing into a, into a book. Um, in fact, but, uh, Roland in, in particular, really interesting, um, in that he was as maybe, maybe as much of, of a basketball prospect as he was a baseball prospect, uh, was headed to the university of Georgia to play basketball, I was trying to, I was thinking about this this morning. I was trying to think of, do you guys recall the last time there was like a a top level baseball prospect that there was a question about possibly losing him to college
2: basketball? I can give you two. Yeah, you got him. Scott Burl. I think Scott Burl didn't sign and went to the University of Connecticut to play basketball. Like, of course, I can remember things from 30 years ago when I was starting my career. Tony Clark. Tony Clark went. Well,
1: I'm I'm talking about recent. Recent. Well, uh, th- those are recent exact. in my memory. Define recent. <laughs> <laughs>
3: you know, what is recent?
2: It's during my it's career, t- so it's t- recent. in t- the past century? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, maybe I, not. Uh,
1: I feel like it doesn't happen uh, very often. Wait,
2: wait, CJ Henry with the Yankees, I feel like he was a basketball player.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't like know. Field like,
2: first-round pick.
3: One of the things that I don't re- – like, I have trouble remembering is, well, how good of a prospect were they – as basketball players I feel like there was a pitching prospect somewhere on, on the line but I can't remember who it was so
2: it's, yeah you have um, you know Pat Connaughton who played in the NBA um, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah that's a good one there you uh, go was one
1: So you guys know my uh, my all time favorite uh, highlight reel of a professional baseball player this is Monte Harrison Duncan <laughs> exactly I mean I, mean, I, was, I, don't, I, I don't know, know basketball may
3: have been his third sport
1: right right yeah uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, Jim, tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about the background there with, with Roland and how he ended up going in the second round.
2: Yeah. And it, it's funny cause totally different area, but like you think of Scott Roland, who's like, you know, I, I guess in high school, he's probably more like six four, two hundred, 200, but like you know, everybody talks like one of the big phrases today is athletic mover and just his combination of size and athleticism and power, like. Like, how would this guy last as long as he did? And it was just, it was a different era. I mean, this was 1993. Um, and there were basically two reasons why he lasted until the 46th pick. One was, you know, as you mentioned, he was a basketball star. He was all state, um, averaged 26.9 points per game as a senior. I think he scored, I think he scored 47 points in his final game. And he had a full scholarship to go to the University of Georgia, great institution. um where he was also going to play baseball as well and both his parents were teachers so like they believed in education so that was one the signability was a question and bonuses were starting to go up but they still hadn't exploded to where you know a second round picks getting offered seven figures and it's an easy decision so that was one and then two you know he played in southern indiana and, and it wasn't an era where you had showcases he played a lot of basketball um and you didn't really ever see him against good competition and and you know talking to Mike Arbuckle, who was the scouting director, and Marty Wolver, I can't speak. Marty Wolver, who was the national cross checker for the Phillies at the time, and Scott Turco, was the area scout. There were a lot of teams who were like, ah, you know, like with the basketball, and we're not sure exactly how good he really is because it's Southern Indiana. Like teams just weren't on him. And so, you know, the Phillies, you know, liked him a lot, but they weren't going to take him with their first pick. They picked fourth. And, one of the things I hadn't realized, was kind of funny when I was I was talking to Marty Wolliver. And that year the Mariners had the number one pick. And Roger Youngward, who nailed every number one pick he was ever involved with, going back to when he was an area scout with the Mets and involved with Gerald Strawberry, and he's the guy who drafted Griffey and he's the guy who drafted A-Rod. Marty and Roger Youngward had worked together with the Tigers. So Marty called him on draft day to find out, okay, who are you taking so they can fill his figure out who they're taking it for. And Marty wanted A-Rod, and Lou Pinello, who was managing the Mariners, wanted Darren Dreyfurt who was a, you know, one of the best pitching prospects in draft history to that point, just a total stud. It was a guy who went straight to the big leagues with the Dodgers once he signed, and 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 Young Lord told Marty Wolver. Uh, I think Lou's going to get his way and get the more immediate help. And so Wolver gets off the phone, and everybody knew the Dodgers and Angels. I guess wanted pitching at two and three, and 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 Marty Wolver tells Mike Arbuckle, I think we're getting a Rod. I think we're getting you know, who was. Yeah, you know, that would have been unbelievable. To get a rod in the first round, Scott Roll in the second round, but you know the the, the key to this whole thing was really the area scout Scott Turka. You know Mike Arbuckle made a point in my story. He said, you know, uh, you know, he people weren't sure what he was going to sign for, and Arbuckle gives gives Turka the credit for evaluating his ability, evaluating the sign ability, and evaluating the makeup, and he nailed all three and Marty Wolver kind of said the same thing and they when they took him they didn't know what it was going to cost to sign him and back then you didn't get your pick back so if you didn't sign your second rounder you just lost the pick but Scott Turka had built a very good relationship with the, with the with the um with the Roland family and they told him he said if we make him a fair offer will you sign and the father said yeah we'll probably do that and he he believed that that meant that the father would and they were the only team that worried about the, the Phillies were really worried about was right ahead of them. The angels at 45 were picking, but the family would not guarantee they would sign. And so the angels took Ryan Hancock who played briefly in the big leagues and the Phillies took, uh, took Roland who interestingly enough had an ankle injury. He played through his whole senior year. So he wasn't even hundred percent. He had this bad ankle injury, but just this, you know, amazing athlete and Turka kind of stayed with it. And he wanted to play. There was a, I think an annual Kentucky Indiana high school basketball all star game at Market Square Arena at the end of June, three weeks after the draft. And Roland was 100% going to play in that. And he did. And they eventually signed him toward the end of July for for 250000 which was the equivalent of late first round money, but not really that much even out of line for for where they took him. And, you know, just great scouting and, you know, great pick and Hall of Famer for Scott Turka. And I'll, I'll just throw in, you know, Marty Wolver was talking about how Scott. Just his attention to detail made him a great scout. And in that same draft and that he gets Hall of Famer Scott Rowland in the second round, he got big leaguers in the twenty seventh, thirty-third round with David Doster and Kevin Sefsik. And you know, just like it's, it's not it's like these story, Jonathan. You wrote a whole book. And I'm gonna fi- I'm fining Jason twenty five thousand dollars. He's gotta mention the title of your book, <laughs> which is Smart, Wrong and Lucky. The Origin Stories of Baseball's Unexpected Stars, which you can order on Amazon and I'm sure all kinds of other places. So I'll throw that in there. Jason, you have to buy however many books, $25,000 and distribute them. That's two Um, copies. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Exactly. It's (laughs) a high price tag. But no, I mean, like Jonathan and I, I mean, I'll let Jonathan speak for himself. We we love these stories, and it's great. And like one of the cool things is is I love telling the story of like an area scout who did an unbelievable job, which is what Scott Turkett did here. And it's it's cool because all weekend I kept getting texts when people weren't texting me about signings or what are you hearing about signings from various scouts who were like great job, this is what scouting's all about, you know, way way to tell a great story. And it really you know, maybe Jonathan, you, you you could be modest or immodest if you want. These stories tell themselves. All you have to do is get, they do. You find the people who are involved and get them talking. And like I said, the, you know, I'm talking to Marty Wolliver. He's telling me this anecdote about, you know, scouting, you know, calling Roger Youngward the morning of the draft. And I'm just thinking, hey, thanks, Marty. You just wrote my lead. Like, like, yeah, like, no,
3: it, it, and they're such great storytellers, scouts in general. But once you get them talking about stuff like this, it really is. Um, it's just such a happy place to be. Uh, and yeah, a lot, a lot of the stories like these, and even when I've done them with playoff teams, you know, I remember digging into the Braves drafting Ian Anderson, number three, and when you you know, had that huge year and, and was so pivotal for their playoff run and, uh, talking to the scouts involved there, like it, they invariably like to one give credit to the other scouts involved. Like so, if you talk to a scouting director who is in, involved, uh, especially in the later round kind of thing, or you know, not a first rounder, or you know, a case like Roland, they want to give the area scout the credit because that's who deserves the credit. And uh, even if they don't want to shine a light on on their own efforts, uh, someone else will always do so. So it, uh, yeah, it's very enjoyable to to be able to dive into these stories. So.
1: Roland, second round pick in 1993. Uh, Fred McGriff went even later than that. He was a ninth round pick uh, in 1981, um, drafted by the Yankees. I thought it was interesting. Uh, the twelve year gap between uh, two inductees. You know, going in in the same class and a, a twelve year gap. Obviously, you know, Roland uh, out of Jasper High School in. Uh, Indian Indiana, and Fred McGriff went to Thomas Jefferson High School in Tampa, Florida. And, and of course, we've talked about the fact that McGriff has been involved in, as we're here at a deadline, a trade deadline, uh, been in, involved in some was involved in some very interesting trades over his career.
3: Yeah, he, he was uh, like quickly just sort of. Well, you no, know, we can talk about the the trades first. You know the. He, he went you know, to the Yankees and then a year later was uh, traded to the, the Blue Jays uh, and not a big deal. Uh, sent Dale Murray, as we were saying off air, Dale Murray, not Dale Murphy, and Tom Dodd. It was for Dave Collins and Mike Morgan. Uh, he had repeated rookie ball, so like it was not a, a known thing, but the Blue Jays liked his power and they were right. Uh, and then he, of course, was traded uh, a couple of other times uh, over the course of uh, of his career in, in some very big trades, um, you know, often at the, uh, I guess that first trade was in December of of 82. Um, so it was a winter meetings trade. Then 1990, he was part of the big Padres Blue Jays deal for Roberto Alomar and Joe Carter, and then in 1993, the Padres sent him to the Braves. Um, in a you know not not a particularly big return, but uh, the you know the Braves were were making a run and and wanted McGriff uh, quickly on his draft history. You know you mentioned that he went in the ninth round to to the Yankees out of high school. Quick. Quick uh, pop quiz for you. The Yankees didn't have a first-round pick that June, but they did have a second-round pick. Do you know, I know who, who it was. I know who I know, it was. I know this is right in your memory wheelhouse. Um, <laughs> because it was
2: 40 years ago. Who did, they, <laughs> who did the
3: Yankees take with their second-round pick in 1981? I will give you a hint, Jason. He made his fame in another sport.
2: And it wasn't basketball.
3: <laughs> and it was not basketball. Oh, is that is that Elway? That is correct. Huh. Okay. Um you know so it's interesting it's, it's always interesting when you look at these guys who went in later rounds to see who uh you know who did what and who went you know the the, the other names that they got they 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 had some other guys make it to the big leagues Mike Pagliarula went in the 6th round that year and he spent you know 11 years in in the big leagues but um you know Fred McGriff finished 3rd in war among uh that's awesome i have to throw that in jim i'm glad that you slacked that to us 31st round pick that year is greg zanino who is the father of mike zanino and also one of our favorite scouts um but mcgriff finished third among 1981 draftees in war uh, among 1981 draftees in war you know who signed that year do you know who finished ahead of him
2: I was trying to do hasty Fred McGriff draft research before we started, so I know I, who they were. The, and there's a basketball tie for Jason. So. Oh, that's right. So Jason, can you can the, you guess either well, the of them? player
3: who the player who signed who led this class in war could have played potentially could have played basketball? Did play basketball at a
2: very high level? Tony Gwynn. Yes. And the other guy had the same amount of letters in his first and last name total. Nine. So uh, that should give it to you right there. <laughs> the guy who <laughs> finished second in war the has same nine of letters, letters as, Tony as Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn. <laughs> that should, Gwynn. But not, not, not four plus five the weirdest game of anagrams yes. I've ever heard. <laughs> but you have a, it's nine letters for his first and last name. So you got to get it right away. Like it's <laughs> right. so obvious I mean, now.
1: That seems like a dead giveaway. I mean.
2: You actually, uh, you were tweet, you guys were tweet t- slacking about him the other day. About like oh, pitching um, against Mike Messina. That,
3: well, David that, Cohn.
1: That,
2: there you go. Wow.
3: <laughs> that and, that, uh, was, a, that was a
1: huge hit right there, man. Yep. But, yeah.
2: But, but, you know, yeah, did, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just gonna
3: say, you know, Tony Gwynn, both of those guys, by the way, third round picks. Um to, you know, Tony Gwynn was a third rounder, of the Padres and and David Cohn went in the third round out of high school to the Kansas City Royals. You have to go down to Kevin McReynolds who was the number six overall pick. He was the the leading first-round pick in terms of war, and he had a very solid 30.1, but Gwynn was 69.2, Cohn 62.3, and McGriff 52.6.
2: Kevin McReynolds on the cover of the first issue of Baseball America, which was then known, I believe, as the All-American Baseball News in 1981. Wow. So. There you go. All right. Do you know uh, what Fred McGriff's bonus was in the ninth round? No. Anyway, you just guess. You guys guess. What do you think a ninth rounder he got in
3: 1981? Uh, sixteen thousand dollars.
2: Jason, you want to pay Fred McGriff more or less than sixteen thousand? I was. Well, I, w- I want to pay him more, but you know. I was gonna. I was gonna guess less than that. He got twenty thousand dollars, and then right. the last. The last quick quiz, Danny Gentile would be like. Going crazy at this segment with all the quizzes.
1: Furious right now. Yeah,
2: Yeah. Thomas Jefferson High School. Now there are several possible answers here, but name another big leaguer from Thomas Jefferson High School in Tampa. There's six. There are five other possible answers besides Fred McGriff. One, Tino Martinez. Very good. The Tino Martinez. How did you
1: possibly know that? Because I looked it
2: up. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> you, you should have gone. Come on, Jonathan If you did that, you should have gone. Fred Rath and we would have been like, "Whoa!" Yeah, from. Jimmy Hergit. Jimmy Hergit's look- like in the bigs. He's yeah, yeah I'm That's looking. Like, like, I'm career. just looking at the list. Al Pardo and Lenny Fiedo are your uh, are your uh, the rest of your guys there.
3: Yep, Tino is the obvious one.
1: Wait, Tony La Russa says here
2: he wasn't drafted out of there,
1: but went to went to the same yeah. high school. Yeah.
2: Tino yeah. did not sign. By the way. Out
3: of out of Thomas Jefferson.
1: All right, we have a question here to answer. This comes from Bunt Double, who asks, also known as Rangers
3: Prospect Watch,
1: asks: Will there ever be draft pick trading and or an international draft?
3: We, I feel that like we should like just bookmark this question and answer it every year because we, we, I feel like we get this question a decent amount in and around the draft. People really want draft pick trading. I mean, and so do, I, I would love it. I think it would be great. Um, I don't know that we're ever going to see draft pick trading the same way we do in other sports. Um, I, I just get the sense that there's not a desire to add that wrinkle to, to the draft. I don't know if it's fear that teams are just going to, like, punt the draft and trade away all their picks uh, or what. But I, I do. I, I just don't sense that there's ever going to be
2: a consensus to to get there. I'm going to disagree with you on that one, Jonathan. Before we get to international, are you ground. vehemently disagreeing? No, no. I would say it's like 45, 45, 50. Dis- okay, I just dis- want to get the the, the yeah. level of disagreement. It's totally fine. You didn't you didn't you didn't refer to Twitter by its new stupid name, so I'm not going to yell at you, <laughs> which is good. Um, <laughs> well, that would have been like 80 vehemence. But um, yeah, fair. Um, no, what I was going to say is it's interesting. I, I think we will get it because I do think MLB is looking for ways to increase interest in the draft. And that would increase interest for the casual fan who doesn't necessarily know the players. If you're a fan of, say, I'll just throw out the Reds, like the Reds, and the Reds are settling contention, and they trade the number seven pick in the draft for Dylan Cease like you're going to be watching the draft to see if it, what's happening I, I i do think like you said jonathan i don't think it'll be the extent we have in other leagues i, I would bet that there would be a limit on how on many, how, how, many yeah. how many years you can trade into the future and how deep in the draft you go maybe it's the first couple of rounds but i do think when they put in and i think it was the 2012 cba with this new system and you could trade the competitive balance picks at the time it, like it seemed like that was like, okay, we're dipping our toe in the water and we'll get to the trading and draft picks. Because when, again, now I'll be old man callous. <laughs> when I started the industry, like 90% of the industry was like, no, we should never trade draft picks. You know, Scott Boris and these agents are going to, you know, steer all the best players to the best teams and dictate where they go. We can't have this. It's terrible. Pete Incavilia had just actually forced a trade from the Expos who drafted him in the top 10 picks. Cavillia still holds a career in single season home run records in, in college. He went, I think, sixth or seventh in the draft. Didn't want to sign with Montreal. The only way he'd sign is if they immediately traded him, which they did to Texas, and teams were afraid of that situation. And over the years, I, I feel like it's softened that the teams aren't in fear that like agents are going to, you know, all the best players will have to be traded to the Yankees. But I think why I, I actually would have thought in 2012 we'd have it by now, have more open draft pick trading. But I think the reason that we haven't is that. I don't think it's a front burner issue, especially like with the last CBA where we had a lockout and it was contentious and we're getting to the point where we might lose games. At the end, there's many more important things to talk about than draft pick trade. So I think to have draft pick trading, and this will segue into the second part of the question with international draft, which I think is kind of the same thing, that's something that should be discussed about early in the CBA process when you're talking about stuff that isn't a hot button issue for either side, because if you leave it until the end I think a lot of times they just run out of time to fatigue, worry about draft pick trading. Negotiation, fatigue. Like we, we got to get a deal. Who cares about draft pick trading? Let's just get this deal done. Type of thing. So that's that's my that's my little take. Right. On I guess that. the
3: question is, will they ever actually do that? Yeah. You know, I,
2: I think I talk my, about it in yeah, that my, order, so they. Yeah, my, my gut feel it. is because they're looking for ways to increase interest in the draft that at some point they will get around to it. You know, just like when we're, we're moving the draft to the all-star game we're we're, we're having a kind I hope so. I mean, but, I, yeah. I, I hope
3: you're right. I think it'd be I think it would be a lot of fun. And then, you know, the international draft I think is kind of it's not the same boat in that it, like it I don't know how much more interest it would generate. I think it would be fascinating. I know that in the past there had been some trepidation even and I think Jim you've had some of the same conversations with people in the scouting industry It's just that you know, different countries do things so differently that to try to figure out how to uh, funnel it into one draft system would be very difficult. But I think that in the over the past several years, the work that's been done to kind of regulate the the international markets, uh, you know, the international bonus pools, uh, the the amount of workouts and and showcase events that major league baseball runs it's it's it is a different landscape that is not quite the wild west that it might have once seemed to be so i i think that if you had asked me that question four years ago or five years or even you know 10 years ago when you know that cba came into being i guess it's now 11 but i would have said no i i just don't see there there it's too steep of a hill to climb I think they're climbing it, and I, I do think that eventually there could be whether it's you know a separate international
2: draft or just one big huge draft. You, I could yeah, hundred percent. Like, and you cannot have one big huge draft. That would be a nightmare trying to figure yes, that out. So, yes, I agree with that. Yeah. But like I, I and I agree with what you're saying, Jonathan. I, I saw that you got some vehemence there. Like like I don't want to cover a joint international uh, US based draft. That well, no be, one's
3: asked no one no one's asking us whether we want to cover it. But
2: no, no but I don't you, even think baseball has a taste for that. But I actually think we'll have an international draft in the next CBA. And I because again, like you said, Jonathan, like years ago, if you'd asked people that, like when I started in the business, which was many years ago, people be like, uh, the the logistics of that are impossible. There's no way, can't happen. And now I think there, MLB wants this because they don't want teams having to go out and try to lock guys up unofficially when they're 13 or 14 years old. It's a bad look, like some of the the human trafficking exploit or incidents where guys defecting from Cuba. Like it, it's just not a great look at all. It's not a, it's some of that. And they've cleaned up a lot of it. Like it has gotten better. But I do think MLB just wants a straight draft so that you're not you know, entering into a handshake agreement with somebody when they're 13 or 14 years old, which you kind of have to do to land one of the top talents. And I don't mean, Jonathan, we always talk about how hard it is to project talent for scouts for high school or college kids or 18 or 21. I don't know how you do it when you're 13. And I honestly think it would have happened. But like I was saying with the trade and the draft picks, this is much more of a priority for MLB. And they tried to kind of put it in the CBA at the last second when they were scrambling a deal done and the union was kind of like no we need to talk about this more than rather just put it in but I do think this is something MLB is going to want and I do think when these CBA negotiations come up like there's a lot more things the players want than MLB wants so I think if MLB wants something they can make some kind of you know concession to the players so I, I'll go on record I think we'll have an international draft we'll, we'll become part of the next CBA
1: cool there's your answer bunt double to two answers appropriately for bunt double double answers uh, that is going to do it for this week's episode of the mlb pipeline podcast thanks for listening don't forget to subscribe on apple podcast spotify or wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss an episode if you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions leave us a rating and a review see you next week everybody